Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, January 19th. Calgary City Council is facing backlash after taking a 2.41% increase in their salaries this year. We discuss the pay raise and the controversy surrounding it with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. The election may not be until November, but the 2024 U.S. presidential race is already heating up. We get the latest on the campaign trail from Global News Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco. And finally, how do Canadians perceive the economy and their household finances in 2024? We hear details on a new report on the topic from Andrew Enns, Executive Vice President of the market research firm Leger. And Calgary City Council facing somewhat of a backlash after taking a 2.41% increase on salaries this year. Joining us to discuss this and all the issues facing Calgarians is Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning to you, Madam Mayor. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Good, good. Uh, thank you for taking the time with us once again. Uh, I want to start with a, a, a very grim incident uh, that took place in our city earlier this week. Domestic violence now brought into the spotlight uh, after the uh, murder of a Calgary woman outside of a, a Calgary school during a well, morning drop-off. Uh, many, many Calgarians affected by this event, as, as you can imagine. And I want to get your thoughts, not just as mayor, but as a Calgarian, Mayor Gondek, uh, when you heard the news and the the aftermath of such an event we were absolutely jarred by this news we were um, in a council meeting um, I heard about this and immediately my heart went out to the family I didn't know any of the, the details of the situation but you're always concerned when something like this happens especially at a school and you know myself and council and administration are just so very sorry for the family that remains behind and we absolutely remain committed to joining other organizations to try to do better around domestic violence prevention and helping people um, who are trying to flee such situations. This is an absolute tragedy in our community. It does shine the spotlight on the resources available and, uh, you know, that we do have infrastructures in place in the city. Uh, but it also shines a spotlight on maybe some issues with our legal system. Your thoughts on uh, the fact that we've been hearing quite a bit about the suspect and, uh, you know, what they've been through when it comes to the legal system. Uh, what do you think needs to be done to the system? I think the federal government is going to need to work closely with provincial governments to really understand what the ramifications are of the current legislation that is in place and really work to do more to ensure that offenders the very first time that they are identified are treated in a manner that keeps the potential victims safe and taking the complainant seriously and understanding all of the things that could arise as a result of someone being in this kind of a, a brutal relationship we need to get much better about how we're dealing with offenders and that's something that i hope federal government and province can collaborate on. Also this week, uh, salaries within the four walls of City Hall in focus. And we're hearing a 2.41% per, 2 increase that had been calculated. Uh, before we get into, you know, uh, the, the thoughts of a 2.41% increase from your standpoint, Madam Mayor, how is it calculated? How, how is a number like that uh, come to when it comes to the civic employees? Yeah, I appreciate that question, Andy. So what happens every four years is there is a council compensation committee that is struck, and it is comprised of uh, citizens of Calgary who have volunteered to be on this committee. This year, as an example, we had 105 applications that we went through. We looked for people who have qualifications in this area, 
and five of them uh, will be appointed to the committee. And there's people on the reserve list in case for some reason the top picks can't uh, serve on the committee. That committee then engages generally with a third party to do some research, to do a jurisdictional scan, to see what's happening in other major cities, to see what the comparators are for salary and compensation in other areas. And they bring forward recommendations to council that say, we believe that in fairness, your compensation should be this amount. Here's how you rank compared to other Canadian cities in terms of compensation alone and compensation relative to the population, so a per capita calculation. And then they make recommendations about whether there should be any adjustments. Mm -hmm. So one of those recommendations says that we should be in line with the provincial average weekly earnings. And that's the reason why on December 21st, we received a notification that based on those average weekly earnings, council would receive a 2.41% increase. That was when I added this item to the agenda for the following council meeting, which is this week. I was fully expecting some member of council or several to bring forth recommendations to either freeze our wages or uh, do something different. And no one brought forward any motions. And as the chair, I don't have that ability unless I leave the chair, but it's my responsibility to run that meeting. So that's where you have it. A lot of good debate. There were comparators that say we are um, second lowest in terms of compensation when you compare us per capita. And there was a lot of information provided in that meeting. I want to uh, read this for you because this is a different angle. Um, we don't ask for text, but always welcome texts. And we, we try to get to them uh, with Mayor Jyoti Gondek each and every Friday if we get them coming in. And uh, this is one that says, we all complain about everyone else's paycheck. It's only human. But remember, the mayor and the other's paycheck is way below a CEO's standard. I would say Calgary is getting a very good deal. So there's no name attributed to that text, but I think when you look at it in those terms as a, a, a resident of Calgary, um, the, the talents that you and the other council members have, Mayor Gondek, could be into the private world. So I just want to leave that. I, I don't need a comment, but I, I thought that was something worth pointing out for sure. Uh, I want to ask you this because, uh, you know, you're, you're a bit of a jet setter sometimes. <laughs> and I know that we've talked to you a couple of times when you've been coming back from Los Angeles. Tell us about your latest trip down to Los Angeles and, and how you view the health of our film and television industry. So I had the opportunity to go to Los Angeles last week. There was a couple of um, mandates for that particular trip. Firstly, there was about nine or ten organizations we were hoping to get a meeting with and we ended up um, meeting with nine of those including groups like amazon mgm disney and fox lionsgate um, so we had some excellent meetings where we were able to highlight our film friendly policies in the city and to show them that we had a streamlined permit approvals process that any sites that they needed for production and for filming were going to be readily available because we had prioritized how to expedite such permits and uh, we had members of the, the unions and guilds their representatives come with us and they were able to speak to the talent that we have here in our city and our province and it was very well received the second component was that the consul general hosted an incredible event to recognize those canadians that had been nominated for emmys and so it was a great opportunity for a bunch of Canadians to be together and celebrate what we're able to do in this country. Just before we let you go, Madam Mayor, in case you're unaware, it's been cold in the city of Calgary. Um, and we are starting to turn the corner. Uh, but you 
I want to touch on an event that you're very much a fan of because we've talked about it in the past. Kicking off again, Chinook Blast. Tell us about what Chinook Blast's about if somebody's new to the city and why you like it so much. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Chinook Blast will carry on through the month of February. It is an opportunity to engage in so many different events and markets throughout the city, um, focused on the downtown core mostly. But you can take in an Asian market, an Indigenous market that will be within our municipal building. There are uh, various performers that will be at Olympic Plaza. There are folks involved in the sports world that are going to be providing tips and tricks for people. It's really just a chance to spotlight that winter is also a beautiful time in our city and we should get out there and engage with the incredible performers and athletes we have and just come together and really drive that winter economy as well. So it's it's a good chance for Calgarians to celebrate all that we do here. And, and lastly, uh, something else that came down this, this week after a long career in public service and political office, Rachel Notley stepping down as leader of the NDP. In your opinion, what legacy does she leave on Alberta politics, Madam Mayor? I think her tenacity absolutely needs to be recognized, and I think her her passion and compassion within the role. She took a very strong stance on making sure that human rights were respected in this province, and she led her party to a victory that most people did not anticipate. I think she was someone that was able to galvanize support and bring forward good candidates, and I think she'll be remembered for just being someone who never gave up and did her absolute best. and. In public service, sometimes we lean towards ideologies. I think at a time like this, all of that should be set aside and we should realize the incredible sacrifices that she made in the time that she has been serving. She was truly a leader. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time on this uh, Friday morning, Madam Mayor. We appreciate it and have a good weekend. Thank you. You as well. Thank you. That is Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. The election may not be until November, but the 2024 U.S. presidential race is already heating up. Joining us to discuss the latest on the election and all headlines making news down south is Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Uh, good Friday morning to you, Jackson. Hi, Andy. Happy Friday from a very snowy Washington. Snowy there. Uh, we just got out of the deep freeze here, so I guess misery loves company. It's winter everywhere. Uh, in the meantime, uh, things are uh, not freezing but heating up when it comes to the election, and uh, we've got some outcomes, uh, some happenings over the past week. What was the outcome, Jackson, for the Iowa caucuses? What can you tell us? Yeah, so in Iowa, as expected, Donald Trump uh, came out far ahead of his rivals. Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley essentially tied for a very distant second. Uh, this should be no surprise at all. Look, we know that Donald Trump is the odds-on favorite to lock up this nomination. He could do it conceivably here within the next month. Uh, really, these first primaries are a test, though, of his standing within the Republican Party. So we had Iowa last week. We've got New Hampshire coming up next week. And New Hampshire could maybe be a bit closer uh, but that doesn't mean that Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, despite their sort of recent gains, necessarily have uh, staying power. Okay, the names you're mentioning in conjunction with President Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, and, and Nikki Haley. Uh, Haley, uh, you know, was uh, considered to be one of the front runners, uh, as DeSantis early on had, had a lot of, you know, uh, positive remarks as far as his run. Could we see these two coming together or one throwing the support be, behind the other? What, what, what are you hearing? 
I don't know that one will necessarily endorse the other. I think it's a question of does one drop out before the other and then leave voters deciding where they want to go. The thing is, you've got Ron DeSantis, who's actually kind of running to the right of Donald Trump, almost as a more extreme version of Donald Trump, trying to out-mega Donald Trump. And you've got Nikki Haley, who's running as more of a moderate and hoping to sort of scoop up the people in the middle. And then you've got Donald Trump, who's kind of this political chameleon and, and manages consistently to scoop up voters from both sides. And if you look at the exit polling that came out of Iowa, you're actually seeing Trump making inroads with the sort of demographics that might have skewed either Haley or DeSantis. He's got them all. He really has a lock on this right now. And, you know, along with campaigning, former President Trump back in court again this week. What's the latest on his, uh, you know, court journey, if you will? Yeah, so uh, back in court, again, voluntarily. He's not required to be there. But this is the defamation lawsuit involving E. Jean Carroll, the woman he's accused of sexually assaulting in a department store change room. And the trial that's underway right now is a second defamation trial, essentially to decide how much in damages Trump could be on the hook for here for liable. Uh, he is taking this one very personally. But again, I think we have to point out that, you know, Trump was uh, seeking, for example, that the trial be paused so he could attend the funeral of his mother-in-law. Uh, and the judge made it clear that Trump is under no obligation to be there. That's why he has lawyers. But much like the two cases the week of the Iowa caucuses, Trump has insisted on being there in person for one reason or another. And also some, some more news coming down. And it seems like, <laughs> at, least, at least it seems like to me anyway, uh, Jackson, it seems like every couple of months we talk about a potential government shutdown and there was going to be a partial shutdown potentially uh, they got ahead of it congress passed a short-term funding extension on thursday what what is the latest on this shutdown and in, in, in what's behind a partial shutdown yeah so crisis averted really it comes down to how much money they have to keep all or some of the government open that's what this is all about uh, but there is still wrangling that has to take place behind the scenes because they've got big issues that they need to figure out how to fund here, and they need the government open to do that. Uh, namely, they need to figure out how to get more aid to Ukraine and to Israel and to fund security at the southern border. Those are all big priorities. And increasingly, what we're seeing, because it's an election year, is Republicans coming out and saying, you know what, they don't want to cooperate on any of this stuff because at the end of the day, they enjoy the crisis. It feeds into their narrative that, you know, in their words, Joe Biden is ruining the country. So why would they work with Democrats to make things better? Uh, we see this time and time again, uh, especially near elections, that, uh, you know, parties want things to be bad. They want a crisis like the one at the border, and they don't want it solved because they think it's actually going to help them at, uh, you know, uh, on Election Day. All right, let's switch gears and talk about the tragedy that unfolded last year in Uvalde, Texas, and now Uvalde back in focus as the Department of Justice has released a report on the response to the school shooting. Uh, what came out of the report, Jackson? What are the greatest takeaways? Yeah, I mean, no surprise here that uh, sort of what's highlighted as the biggest failure is the inaction by police. Remember that they knew that the gunman was uh, alive and in the classroom with dead and injured students and teachers. And yet they refused to breach that classroom door for 77 minutes. Uh, the DOJ is saying that was a violation, essentially, of, uh, you know, sort of any understanding of active shooter policy, that they should have, you know, continued to go after the gunman until the threat was neutralized. Uh, there's, you know, police officers are expected to run toward danger. And instead, they cowered. We also learned some really heartbreaking details about the response and how chaotic and uncoordinated it was. Uh, for example, they failed to triage the dead and injured coming out of that school. Uh, one injured teacher was left to bleed out and die on a sidewalk. 
while dead bodies were loaded into ambulances and rushed to hospital, while students who had gunshot wounds were loaded onto school buses and not checked for injuries. Just really an incredible mess. Uh, there are 273 recommendations coming out of this, and of course we're still waiting to see if ultimately there may be criminal charges against some of the law enforcement officials who were involved, many of whom were either fired or have since resigned in the, the wake of that disastrous response. Jackson, uh, you, before we let you go, you alluded to it when we kicked off the segment. Uh, it's a winter wonderland might make it sound a little too serene, but winter, uh, you know, the storms are hammering, particularly on the East Coast. And I'm reading here, uh, according to CNN, that at least 55 people across 10 states have died since last week after the coldest air of uh, winter has uh, been dominating the weather patterns. Uh, so just tell us about what kind of an impact that you're seeing, and uh, is it affecting travel, for example? I know we had a, a football game postponed last weekend uh, just how serious is it yeah i mean it's certainly you know we're not used to this kind of weather here and uh, we saw in iowa for example bitterly cold temperatures uh part of the reason why turnout for the caucuses was perhaps a bit depressed uh and here on the coast yeah i mean we've had a sort of a conga line of storms every two or three days uh getting heavy rain or heavy snow coming through uh, so, yeah, it's had a major impact on travel. I think one day earlier this week, there was something like 11,000 flights canceled. Here in the Washington, D.C. area, we don't get a lot of snow. People don't really know how to deal with it. Uh, there are a lot of kids who only went to school one day this week because Monday was a holiday. We had either snow or cold weather closures Tuesday and Wednesday, and the schools are closed again today. Well, the kids are happy. Oh, the kids are happy. Snow day doesn't happen too often, but, you know, in the meantime, uh, especially if you, if you don't get weather like this too often, the kids don't feel it. They're going to embrace it. Just bring on the hot chocolate. Thanks so, so much for your time, Jackson. Have a great weekend. You too. That is Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington Bureau Chief. How do we as Canadians perceive the economy and our household finances as we move into 2024? Joining us to discuss the latest data on the topic from Leger is Andrew Enns, Executive Vice President, Central Canada with Leger. Good morning to you, Andrew. Welcome to the program. Morning, uh, Andy. Great to, great to be joining you on your show. Thank you for being here. Uh, so can you share some of the key insights from this report on uh, Canadians' economics perspectives? What were your takeaways, Andrew? Well, I think on the, on the glass half full perspective, Andy, I think we can say that uh, Canadians aren't feeling particularly you know, worse about things. We've had a period of, of, uh, of a couple of polling uh, um, rounds where, where, where confidence in the economy was diminishing, expectations that things would get better was, was kind of on the, you know, going on the lower side. Uh, same thing with respect to their own perception on their own household finances. And what we see now is we see a bit of a leveling off. And, and even in some parts of the country, we see, we see a little bit of an uptick in terms of, uh, of maybe things economically are going to get better. A uh, few more people thinking it's going to get better in the future. So I would say, um, you know, definitely not out of the woods, but a bit, just a little bit less, I would say, pessimistic about things. Uh, you know, in general. So, you know, a little bit uh, less pessimistic, or we can call it a little on the optimistic side. So what do, you, what do you attribute that to in the sense that we've got the highest high, high interest rates and we still have inflation? It's not like we've had a huge break. Right. What uh, is the change? What's behind uh, it? Well, I think, uh, you know, the one on inflation, uh, it's it's still a significant worry, but the the intensity of that worry has diminished a bit. And I think that's in part because what we're, 
what we've been seeing now over the last uh, six or seven months as, as consumers, as grocery shoppers, is things aren't getting cheaper, but I think we're seeing little less of those crazy increases in prices. I mean, it seemed that there was a point there, um, you know, to early 2023, late 2022, where almost every every weekend to the grocery store for that shop, a, a product that you'd normally buy had gone up again. And so we're seeing a little less of that. And interest rates, I think, while you're right about them being high, um, the conversation around interest rates now is more is more about them not not moving at least, right? Holding steady, mm-hmm. and there's talk now about potentially interest rates going down. Um, you know, we see that in the worries. Uh, the worries we had, we asked Canadians, you know, what what are some of the things that really worry you? And and um, you know, we see uh, inflation has dropped a little bit. Interest rates have held steady, so. So maybe that's contributing a little bit to things, and and um, and and it's it's not like there's celebration because, as you said, it's not things are getting cheaper, but at least it feels like they're not sort of getting ex, you know exponentially expense more expensive every you know every time we make a trip to the store. Excellent. Uh, you were spending some time this morning with Andrew Renz, Executive Vice President, Central Canada with Leger. Uh, what about differences when it comes to, um, you know, different parts of the country? Did you see any differences in economic confidence for the different regions? Yeah, we we did pick up a pick up a little. I mean, these aren't these aren't massive differences, but you know, I know I'm talking to uh, to the good folks of uh, of Calgary and, and Alberta, and we do see a, a, some differences there in, in the province. I would say, you know, Albertans are still a little bit more on the cautious side on the economy, uh, particularly, you know, their perception of the Canadian economy and, and where it's heading. Um, you know, certainly we see a bit more optimism in Ontario and Quebec about how things uh, economically might be in the country, uh, you know, going forward. So, you know, I think in, in Alberta, I think there's still a little bit of a wait and see. I think... Um, you know, the other thing that sort of, you know, pops out is, uh, uh, um, you know, household finances. Again, uh, Albertans, it's not like things have gotten worse in Alberta, but they haven't experienced any of, we haven't seen any of that movement of a little bit more positive in terms of their outlook. So I think it, I, I think for Albertans, there's just a little bit more uh, potentially a wait and see, and, and uh, uh, we'll maybe see some movement uh, in our next round of polling later in the year. Can you give us just a bit of a background, Andrew, on, on how the polling was conducted, maybe the scope of it and the, and the time range? Sure. The, uh, it was an online poll. Uh, we did, uh, we did 2,000, just over 2,000 interviews. Uh, the polling period was the early, uh, early days in January. We were in field uh, 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 January 5th to the 7th. So it was right after the, uh, the, the you know, sort of the holiday break. Uh, interesting enough, we have a few questions on the holiday spending, which, you know, and that's always an interesting time. Um, you know, we, we got in before the, the household bills came in from Christmas, more than likely, but, but it is sort of that period of uh, post, uh, you know, post-seasonal, post-Christmas sort of, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's a letdown, but mm-hmm. there's sort of a, a back to a normal routine now from what was, uh, you know, usually some, some extra special activities. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for sharing the details of, of the research. We appreciate it, Andrew. Uh, happy to happy to join you and, and have a great rest of your program. You as well. Andrew Enns, Executive Vice President, Central Canada, with Leger. They go together like bacon and eggs. You're listening to Mornings with Sue Dial and Andrew Schultz. Talk on FM 1073 QR Calgary. 
You heard it there, Andrew Renz, the executive vice president with the uh, Central Canada chapter of Leger, saying, well, you're not exactly pessimistic, not exactly optimistic, but moving towards optimism. Uh, that's according to the latest survey from uh, the group Leger. And again, it seems to be across the country. So I'm wondering how you feel. It was just a few short days ago, well, the 15th, uh, that it was uh, obviously Blue Monday. Uh, well, Monday, we had our, uh, the most depressing day of the year. It is, to a certain extent, a marketing tool. But, you know, as, as Andrew had mentioned, the bills have rolled in from Christmas. It's cold outside. Back at it with work, with activities, with school. We're busy again. And again, it is kind of a back-to-reality situation. Uh, you know, so I'm wondering uh, for you, uh, are you feeling optimistic when it comes to your financial outlook into 2024? I know that in our grocery cart comparison that we do on the program quite regularly, uh, between March and December, and this is one that I was responsible for, we switched back and forth five items in the grocery cart, and it is meat, uh, the, the the ground beef, the cheese, the bread, uh, the the milk, and and we put all these things together in the loaf of bread rather, um, and it, it had gone down two dollars uh, from Safeway from March until December. We did see some movement downward there. Are are you optimistic? Are we starting to see you know maybe some more money in our pocket? Are you starting to think that maybe you can get ahead of that curve? Love to hear from you at four zero three nine seven four eight two five five.